Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here with you guys this morning. If you're tuning in from home, it's good to have you guys with us as well. My name is Jonathan Parrish. Uh, my wife and I have been a part of Integrity for nine years now. Um, I became a believer back in 2012 as a student at ECU, and now I get the privilege of being on staff as our community director here at Integrity. So I oversee the hospitality team on Sundays. Um, I look at after small groups during the week, and then I also get to do our graphic design, which is a lot of fun. Um, for those of you that I just met this year or I haven't gotten to meet yet, I did want to show a picture of my family with y'all because um, you probably haven't gotten a chance to meet them yet. Um, this is my wife, Morgan. Uh, we've been married six years this December. Uh, my daughter, Nora, who's three and a half, and my son, Lincoln, who's one and a half. And we have a little girl coming in March, so we're excited about that. <laughs> um, if you had seen Lincoln before the quarantine, he had like a little bit of red fuzz on his head, and now he's got like long, curly red hair. So I wish my hair grew as fast as Lincoln's. Um, but this has been a really, really tough year, but I've had a lot of opportunities to spend uh, extra time with these folks here, and, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Galatians. Um, if you're new to Integrity, we typically preach through books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Uh, and we've been working through Galatians now for a little over two months. And this morning we find ourselves in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I picked it up like I was about to read, but I'm just juking you all out. Sorry. Before we dive in, <laughs> uh, I do want to review a little bit of the context of this, message, or this passage. Um, ben has been going through chapter 5 for the last two weeks. And in chapter 5, we see that Christ set us free from the burden of fulfilling the law of Moses um, however, just because we're free from fulfilling this law doesn't mean that we're free to be lawless. We're also free from living a life of sin. Um, this freedom causes us to crucify our sinful desires and walk with the Spirit instead. In the verses leading into today's passage, Paul addresses a common relational challenge. The Galatians are comparing themselves to each other, and they're attempting to measure up to each other based on each other's performance. And this is called conceit. So they're either provoking the ones that they feel superior to, or they're envying the ones that they feel inferior to, um, and that they don't feel worthy to be around. The problem with being conceited is we put ourselves at the center of attention and glory. And Jesus saved us from a life of comparison and to a life of love. And what I want us to see as we transition into today's passage is that a life of love isn't lived for ourselves. Um, this passage breaks down into two different major sections, but both fall under this same theme, and we're going to look at them one at a time. So now, if you would join me, uh, in chapter 6, we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." So I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I first read these five verses, I had a few questions that 
came to mind that made it a little bit confusing. The first is, how can we be expected to bear one another's burdens or have others bear ours if we're responsible for our own load? Um, that was confusing to me because the two concepts seems to contradict each other. Also, earlier, Paul explains that the law of Christ is fulfilled by loving our neighbors as ourselves, and here we see that it's done so by bearing one another's burdens. And so which one is it? Is it one or the other? And, and finally, his reason to boast will be in himself alone threw me off because I didn't think we were supposed to boast at all. And if we did, wouldn't it be in Jesus, not ourselves? Maybe you have a few of these questions. Maybe you had a few extras that I missed. But hopefully we can break, the, break down this passage and figure some of this out. So let's, let's take a second to reread verse 1 together, if you would join me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So remember, this passage is coming fresh off the heels of Paul urging the believers to stand firm in their freedom and to walk in the Spirit. We saw in this section that the opposing lifestyle of the flesh had a lot of relational tension. We saw it included enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division, and envy. And then he closes that section by encouraging them not to be conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So isn't it interesting then that as we transition here into chapter 6, he starts with the word brothers, which is a call to unity and not comparison. We're a family. He continues by talking about restoring somebody who's caught in sin. So there's a few things I wanted to draw attention to in this verse specifically. First, I want us to understand the meaning of the word caught, because I think it helps us understand the weight of this phrase. So when you hear the word caught, what do you think about? For me, I think about caught red-handed, like with your hand in the cookie jar, or you're the little raccoon or the guy that always has a mustache and he's caught in the spotlight robbing something. I think caught red-handed. But I was actually surprised when I looked at the definition of it, it actually means overtaken, um, which the King James Version was ahead of us on, but there's a select few that still read it. But they use the word overtaken in this verse. Um, So here's the definition of caught, of being overtaken in any trespass where the meaning is not that of detecting a person in the act, but of his being caught by the trespass through his being off his guard. So if you're a visual learner like me, think of caught in a spider web, not caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Um, Have you ever felt like you're caught in a spider web of sin? Maybe you feel that way this morning, or maybe you have a friend who you know is overtaken by a certain sin. It's easy to think about ourselves in these times to become conceited. We either think there's no way we could share our sin struggle with them or else they'll think less of us. Or on the other side of the coin, you think, I can't believe so-and-so is doing that. They should be ashamed of themselves. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Isn't that a fun one? Yeah. Confrontation is hard, but Paul says it's a way we can love one another. So if anybody's overtaken by a sin, those who are walking by the Spirit are to gently restore that person. So I don't want us to miss the distinction here. It's those who are spiritual as opposed to those who have it all together. And it's those that are spiritual to restore them in a spirit of gentleness rather than shaming or judging that person. It's easy to shy away from helping others when we don't feel like we have it all together. And sadly, it's also easy 
to judge and shame others when we feel like we have it all together. We often think we couldn't get caught by the same sin, but Paul quickly adds here, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So if you're flying around and you see a buddy of yours caught in the spider web, you need to be careful when trying to save him from the spider web that you don't also get caught in the spider web. We see this a lot. We have a lot of spiders outside our house, and I see this happen all the time. Um, practical example of this is if your brother or sister is gossiping, and you're like, man, I'm going to help them out. Gossiping is not cool. And then you go to help them out. Be careful that you don't also jump in to the gossip. It's probably one of the easiest ones. For some reason, cigarettes always comes to mind first, but gossip is probably more realistically applied here. Um, When we're living for ourselves, we move away from love. We shift over to comparing ourselves to others to make sure that we measure up. But a life of love isn't lived for ourselves. So we know we're called to gently restore one another when we're overtaken by a sin. Paul expands on this concept in verse 2. If you would join me in reading verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and in so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is one of those questions we raised a few minutes ago. We learned earlier in the letter that the law of Christ is fulfilled by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And here we see that it's bearing one another's burdens. So which one is it? Let's take a look back at chapter 5, just verses 13 through 14, and, and see what Paul says about the law of Christ. It's available up on the screens. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was still pretty confusing for me through studying this, so I looked at what Tim Keller had to say about it, which was really, really helpful. He, he explained that the verse in chapter 6 is actually a reflection of what was spoken about in chapter 5. This means that bearing one another's burdens is a way to serve one another in love. It is loving to help one another with their burdens. So to answer the question, which one fulfills the law of Christ, I believe they both do because it's actually talking about the same thing. And what exactly is a burden? The Greek word used for burden here is a weight or anything pressing on one physically. If somebody shares something with you and your immediate response is, that's heavy, that's probably a burden that they just shared with you. Or if you notice somebody going through something and you think, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, that's probably a burden that they're going through. Last year, our fridge went out and a collection of people gathered money and helped us pay for a new fridge. That's bearing a burden. And a few months ago, my grandmother died and somebody wrote me a handwritten card and gave me a book on grief. That's also carrying a burden. Burdens can come in all shapes and sizes. And in this context, Paul seems to be referring to the burden of being overtaken by a sin. And in this context, to bear that burden means to gently restore that brother or sister. As believers, we're to love our neighbor by bearing one another's burdens. Sadly, the way we view ourselves can often hinder us from bearing one another's burdens. Paul begins to address this problem in verse 3. Let's take a look at that together. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When preparing for this message, I like to look at a few different translations to kind of help me get a grasp on it. And the New Living Translation did such a good job breaking this verse down that I just want to read it for you guys. 
The, new, the NLT says about chapter, verse 3, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. <laughs> just got roasted by the NLT. <laughs> so the main takeaway from this verse is that you are not currently and never will be too important to help somebody. No matter what your career, your financial status, or your social status, you are not that important. Jesus modeled this kind of humility. Let's take a look at Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And this is Paul talking to the church in Philippi about Jesus. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, there it is, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave us the perfect example of what it looks like to live a life of love. Because of his love for us, he carried the burden of sin and shame, and died on the cross to defeat it. Now, because of his sacrifice, we're freed from sin and have a restored relationship with God. And that is what the gospel is all about. That's the same gospel that Paul is pleading the Galatians not to turn from. So we want to follow Jesus' lead on this one, with everything else in life as well. You're not too important to help others. You never will be. We seek to bear one another's burdens out of love, but we are also responsible for our own conduct as well. And this is what we see in the next two verses. So if you would join me in looking at verses four and five. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The word boasting can make this verse seem really confusing because it sounds like Paul's saying that we should take credit for our own works. But we know that boasting in ourselves doesn't mean that we take credit for our spiritual fruit from looking at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And there Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we're to boast in ourselves, but we're also told that we should not boast. So how can you reconcile these two ideas? After discussing this one with Kirk, one of our elders, I've learned that in the letter to Ephesians, Paul is saying that we are not boasting when it comes to our salvation. That work was completed by God alone. But here in Galatians, he's talking about something different. Here, he's actually talking about boasting in our own fruit as compared to our neighbors. So he's actually talking about sanctification here, which is the process of becoming more Christ-like over time. So you're not bragging about your fruit, saying that you're better than somebody else, you're saying you're, the, the, the plumb line for how you're looking at your development is based on how you looked a year ago, five years ago, or ten years ago, and you're rejoicing in what God's doing in your life. You're not saying, I'm not developing as fast as so-and-so. God must not be working. That's what that's saying. So what we're really doing is we're rejoicing on, in the work God's doing in our lives as we mature. And this was relevant to the Galatians at this time because the Judaizers were actually trying to boast in the Galatians' work. They were leading the Galatians astray and then boasting in what the Galatians were doing rather than 
looking after their own hearts. And this explains why Paul then mentions that we're all responsible for our own load. A burden and a load, a, a load are not referring to the same thing. They're actually two different Greek words, uh, which was interesting. I didn't know that going into this. The difference between load and burden is that a load is simply something to be carried without reference to its weight, but a burden always suggests something that's heavy or burdensome. In this context, the load Paul's referring to is our responsibility for our own conduct. That's something that we have to carry alone. John Stott has this to say about bearing burdens versus bearing a load. There is one burden that we cannot share, and that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. Burdens can come and go, and we can carry them for each other. If we're overtaken by a sin, a brother restores us. Grief comes and goes. But a load is like a book bag of responsibility that God's given each of us, and they all look different. We always carry it, and on Judgment Day, we'll be responsible for our conduct, not our neighbor's. This book bag may be heavier at various times in our lives, but it's never going to be a burden that we can't bear by ourselves. So far, we've looked at what it looks like to unpack uh, bearing one another's burdens and um, being responsible for our own load. And I want to talk about now what it looks like to harvest what we plant. So Morgan and I started a garden this year. Any other COVID gardeners out there? Nobody. Somebody's, they, they went like this with their hair, and I thought they were raising their hand. So we're the only COVID gardeners. I heard a, oh, yeah, maybe we'll take two more. So this year we started a garden because we were stuck at home. Um, so I consulted with Jason and Andy Workman. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of seeing their garden. It's incredible. Um, but they were generous enough to offer us some advice and even a couple of tools to get us started. And then I went to Lowe's and learned that everybody else in Greenville was also getting into gardening at the same time. We escaped Lowe's picked a spot in our yard, made two garden beds. Morgan planted flowers, and I planted tomatoes and peppers. We learned a lot about the process of gardening this year, uh, mainly how not to do it for next year. Um, But it really helped me relate to this particular passage, uh, these upcoming verses. And Paul uses the analogy of gardening here because the Galatians would have also related to it. They lived in an agrarian society and would have been very used to sowing and reaping or harvesting and planting. So let's take a look at verses 6 through 10 and see what Paul has to say about sowing and reaping. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. At first glance, verse 6 didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the passage. What does sharing good things with your teacher have to do with sowing what you reap? Um, But after looking around, I noticed that Paul actually uses this same analogy of gardening with teaching and receiving goods for teaching. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 9.14 real quick. He says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So as we're taught the word 
we're to share all good things with the one who teaches. All good things here most likely meant a monetary donation to bless the teacher so that they can continue to preach the gospel. They sow the word to us, and we, they reap blessings from us. And this was very common back in those days for a teacher of anything to be paid primarily from his students. That way he can devote time to studying that topic, in this case, the gospel. In verse 7, Paul continues with the analogy of sowing and reaping, and we see another plea from Paul to the Galatians not to be deceived. And this has been a common theme all throughout this letter. Saying that God is not mocked is another way of saying you're not going to sneak by with corrupted fruit. If you're trying to work for your salvation, God, who knows your heart, sees right through it. When I planted tomato seeds earlier this year, I reaped tomatoes, not peppers. The same is true about our works. If we plant seeds that gratify our own sinful nature, we will harvest corrupt fruit. And likewise, if we plant seeds that are in step with the Spirit, we will harvest eternal life. This is played out in Paul's description of our spiritual fruit in the previous chapter. In chapter 5, Paul says, The fruit of a believer is, uh, who is walking with the Spirit is evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we plant seeds of selfish desire, we harvest corrupted fruit. On the other hand, if you plant seeds of faith working through love, you will harvest the, the fruits of the Spirit. When Paul's saying you will reap what you sow, he's saying you cannot sow to the flesh and still reap eternal life. They're two different seeds and plants. That's why he says those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because God is not mocked. You can't expect to plant selfish seed and, expect, and, and, and harvest an entirely different crop. In the Old Testament or Old Covenant, folks were known as people of God because of their obedience to the law of Moses. And this, is, this included circumcision, which has been talked about all through this letter. Paul is saying here that the evidence of a believer in the New Testament or New Covenant is in the fruit, not circumcision or the obedience to the law. He says in chapter 5 that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In, verses, in verse 9, Paul acknowledges the difficulty in waiting for the harvest, and he offers us some encouragement. There is hope. In the end, we will reap eternal life if we don't give up. There's a few times this year I really wanted to quit on my garden. I wasn't seeing results as fast as I thought you would, um, being a first-time gardener. Uh, I planted my first seed in March and got my first tomato in July, so it's a lot of, a lot of waiting for those of you that garden, you know. Um, but you can't plant a seed and then not touch it for three months to get that fruit. So when you plant a seed, it takes work. You need to water it. You need to get the weeds away. Keep your toddler from ripping out an entire plant when you're turning the water off. I said it takes work and it takes patience. It makes it extra hard to work and to wait when there doesn't appear to be any hope around us. So this year has been an incredible example of that. This life's going to be hard, and doing good can make us grow weary at times, especially if we don't feel like we're making much of an impact. So there's two truths that we see in this gardening analogy that Paul gives us. First, we will reap what we sow. That's guaranteed. Tomato, 
tomatoes come from tomato seeds. Second, we will reap over time. Paul says not to grow weary. The season of harvest is coming. Verse 10 is the perfect ending for this whole section of scripture. Let's take a look at that together. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now this verse seems pretty straightforward, but there is two phrases that I want to draw attention to. First, he says, as we have opportunity. This command isn't to carry the weight of all people everywhere at all time. That's not possible. Look around you. Where is God giving you opportunities right now to serve? Maybe it's restoring a brother or sister caught in sin. Maybe it's grieving with a friend. Maybe it's joining a meal train to bring a meal to somebody that can't cook right now. Where is God giving you opportunities to serve? The second phrase I want to point out is household of faith. And this is referring to believers, which isn't a secret. The reason I want to point it out is it's interesting. He ends this section of scripture with another family term, household of faith. And he began it with brothers. So this brings us back to this idea of unity rather than comparison. We're in this together and we support each other. We don't compete with each other or compare ourselves to one another. So in conclusion, I want to emphasize again that a life of love isn't lived for ourselves. We see in the text that when we're walking with the Spirit, we aren't conceited, provoking and envying one another. Instead, we're gently and humbly carrying each other's burdens as we ourselves continue to grow and produce the fruit of a life of love. Have you ever found yourself on either side of that conceited coin? Maybe at some point in your life you felt like you had it all put together and you were better than others, while at other times you felt like you were drowning and you'd never catch up. Have you ever drawn these conclusions about your spiritual development based on what you see in somebody else's life rather than your own? Have you ever denied help for a brother or sister because you secretly wanted them to fail? Rather than living our lives to enhance our view of ourselves, what would it look like to allow our faith to work through love for others? What if we didn't need to strive for other people's approval or acceptance because we knew we were already approved and accepted by God? What if we were able to rejoice in the fruit God is producing in our own lives as we continue to grow in godliness without needing to compare it to our neighbor? We know that working the garden looks like serving one another through love. So let's continue to work the garden. Weeds will come. Life will be more difficult at various times in our lives, but there is hope. As we strive to live a life of love, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those in the household of faith. Let's pray.